0: With that being said, John chapter 6, we're going to be looking at verses 66 through 71. And today we're coming to a close in John chapter 6. We've been looking at this chapter now for 11 weeks. And as this chapter has unfolded, it has become increasingly clear that doubt and suspicion and hostility has just been building against Jesus. And these people who wanted to make him king after he fed them now actually want nothing to do with him after he communicates his message and shares the gospel with them. And so why the change? Why the change between being really excited, wanting to make him king, and now a real disinterest in his message and who he is? See, really, it's because Jesus told the truth and they could not handle it. I mean, notice the claims throughout the chapter of John 6 that he made. That Jesus really said that he was the way of salvation. He claimed to be the Son of God, deity in the flesh. That he in fact said that he was superior to Moses and the manna that their forefathers ate in the wilderness. That was highly offensive to them. And even he said that salvation is by the true and triune God alone, not man. And even we saw later that apart from God's intervention as as Jesus is communicating and teaching, no one could believe at all. And see, when truth is revealed to us, there are only two possible reactions to it, two possible responses to it. And one is to receive it, and the other is to reject it. And so really, people receive the truth when they see it for what it is, and that is truth. But people reject the truth for many reasons— I mean, for example, some people reject it because they misunderstand it. See, Nicodemus, back in chapter 3, didn't understand new birth and the work of the Spirit. The woman of the well in chapter 4 thought that Jesus was talking about another well of water that she could physically seek when he was actually really talking about himself, the water of life. And see, this is not just things we learn in the Gospel of John, but these are true today as well. And that is why people join uh, churches and are baptized without a, a true confession of faith. And really, that is why the word of God is so offensive to many people. It's not because it's laying on an attempt of being offensive, but it just plainly is by its truth. And really, this is because some people misunderstand the truth and as a result, they outright reject it. And see, some people are opposed to it. See, as Jesus revealed himself and he demands in this passage, people were in constant and increasing opposition to him. We saw this all throughout John 6, that they were not able to accept his deity. They did not want to accept accept his impending death and resurrection or his claim to lordship. They opposed him at every truth he presented. And see, even today, many are opposed to the truths of the Bible and the claims of Jesus. That his call to commitment went against their desire to live for self. And as a result, they found themselves in opposition to the Lord. And see, even why others reject the truth even further is that some people are blind to it. They're blind to the truth. We see this in Romans chapter 1. That all the way through this passage here of John 6... They had this approach to Jesus, show us and then we will believe. See, they had already been fed. They had seen Jesus feed 5,000 with loaves of bread and two fish miraculously earlier at the beginning of the chapter. Yet they were blind to who he was and what he was doing. And so this is why many people reject the truth and, and embrace a lie, And see, even further, others want experience, but not expectation. See, these these people were following Jesus because he had satisfied their physical, fleshly appetites. And now they wanted more of the same. They're really telling Jesus, give us this bread always. And in fact, they wanted Jesus to even prove that he was greater than Moses. And so they were looking for something that satisfied their flesh and that made them feel good about themselves. Really, what they wanted was an experience. But when Jesus began to talk about his own expectations and issued a call for commitment, they wanted excitement of the moment with no commitment. And so churches, we come to a close in this chapter of John 6. What we're really seeing is the result of those that reject and turn away from the truth and those who confess the truth and believe. And really what that comes down to that we're going to see in all of our time is that is the difference between who and what you are looking to. And so as we go to read our text this morning and apply it, what we're going to learn is that disciples either turn towards self or Savior That in the Savior is life and salvation, but in the self is deception and betrayal. And so if you're taking notes this morning, those are your fill-in-the-blanks. Just want to give those to you right out of the gate. That those in there are our exposition. And so we're going to read in John chapter 6, starting in verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And so Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is the devil, is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. For he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, this morning I pray that as we go to uh, apply your word, God, I pray that we would not look at it as a way of of hoping it to mean what we want it to be, but that God, we would see the, the truth of your word for what it is, truth. God, I thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather on your day to celebrate to learn and grow, to bring you glory. And so God, this morning, as I am just honestly not feeling well, I thank you that you are our strength, that we don't gather here dependent upon thus saith Pastor David, but thus saith the Lord. So God, I pray that we would uh, in this time submit humbly and truthfully to your word. God, we love you and we thank you for this time and for the truth of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So if you remember from last week, we saw that who Jesus was currently dealing with before him are his other disciples who have been following him. And these are the people who have received the the benefits and really the blessings of his ministry, but now are rejecting the cost of his teaching. And so this is why John writes in verse 66 that we just read, that after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And so this is very different than simply a crowd that is listening to a teaching or receiving a meal by divine blessing. These are disciples. These are disciples, and in, and in some way, they have claimed to be his followers. But as verse 66 tells us, the disciples now turned back and no longer walked with him. And see, here in our text, this shows a distinction between those that claim to be Jesus' disciples and those that really are. See, the truth that we need to understand is that everyone is a disciple, Even atheists are disciples. The question is, who are you a disciple of? Who are you a disciple of? See, are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Or are you a disciple of of culture or some other religious system? See, discipleship to Jesus is costly. In fact, in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 14, Jesus says whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And so discipleship to Jesus, following Jesus is costly because when we follow Jesus, there is always a turning. That it's either ultimately a turning from sin to our savior, Jesus Christ, or it is a turning away from him and back to ourself. And this is what confession of sin is. It's a turning from it to Christ. But again, why are they leaving? Why are these disciples leaving? See, it's because he has said really hard things and has rightly made it explicit that he is not here to fill their want. He is not here to fill their perceived need. He is here to proclaim the gospel, the good news, that we must repent and believe upon him for life. And see, to turn from that, to turn from the gospel, is to turn from life and go to death. And so they turned back and they no longer followed him. And see, church, at this point, I can relate to Jesus in the text. I really can And I don't often make that point because mainly I don't think we're ever the hero of the text or really the Jesus awesome part of the text that we can contextualize. We're usually like the the sinner or the beggar or the disciple or even sometimes dangerously the Pharisees. But on this point and in my own ministry and my years of pastoring, I relate. I have seen many make great claims many things, and then just up and leave. Whether it be because of my teaching, whether it be because of them making a commitment and me longing to hold them to it, I relate to Jesus in this text. That people often will follow you and they'll align with you on one point, but then really they'll leave when they disagree or they find fault for some reason. Now, the reason I have seen this in my own ministry and the reason Jesus is seeing it here with, this, with the other disciples is because, as I said last week, we are a people and even a culture that does, that does not desire to press in and remain faithful. More so, we are, we are selfish and we are fickle. And see, just to be clear, since we are a few thousand years apart from the people in the text... This is not just a cultural or historical issue. This is a sin issue, that they want their their sin. They want self rather than the Savior. And so really, this is why they're leaving, that they align with him as bread giver, but they denied and disregarded him as the bread of life. See, there are many today that also align with Jesus as bread giver, but they deny and disregard him as the bread of life. That many people want a fix-it Jesus, but not a radical Jesus. They want to say, comfort me, Jesus, but not change me, Jesus. They want to profit Jesus. Tell me wonderful things and foretell my future, but not a king Jesus. Be ruler over my life and govern my Everything. But church, really, the only way we are to have a true relationship with Jesus is if we die to ourselves, we go after him and believe in him alone. Because the Jesus that does what he does based on how we feel or what we okay is not the Jesus of the Bible. It's some other Jesus of our imagination. And so I want you to understand, listen, following Jesus means being like Jesus, not the other way around. Following Jesus means being like Jesus. See, that's the whole idea behind being a Christian. And that word literally means one who follows Christ. And so it doesn't mean coexist with or buddies with and involves with. It's follower of, and that is costly, See, this is what we find when the truth is presented. The disciples can make all kinds of claims, but when you present the truth, it creates divides and it draws lines. See, that they are either going to turn to self or Savior. This is really the predicament that these other disciples are in, that they are either going to turn towards self or they are going to turn toward the Savior. And so let me ask you today, who do you turn to? Who do you turn to? See, as the other disciples turn back and stop following Jesus, he turns to the remaining 12 disciples and he asks in verse 67, do you want to go away as well? See, when Jesus asks this in the original language, it's not in despair, but in a way of asking really a confirmation of their faith, because this is what true disciples do. And he's seeking for them to clarify that they would turn away from self and turn towards Savior, because in the Savior is life and salvation, See, in verse 68 and 69, Peter responds to Jesus. And in the first verse, 68 of of this section, he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. See, I love that question by Peter. Because really, he's not being clever. If you know your Bible well at all, you know Peter ain't that clever, He's really asking genuinely. Lord to whom shall we go? And see the reason is of this is because when you have Christ fully and you are surrendered to him nothing else and no one else makes sense or is better than him. And look at how Peter asks the question. He says to whom, not to where. He says to whom? And in this, Peter is proclaiming his allegiance. See, when you turn to the Savior, Jesus Christ, and begin to faithfully follow him, you are putting yourself under the authority of Christ and the lordship of Christ. And if you didn't understand that, that's what Luke 14 communicates. That's what it means to pick up your cross daily and follow after him that in that you are turning to life and salvation, turning away from self. And so I want you to understand, there is no Christian that does not submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, there are many who claim to be Christian, but when there is no evidence and no real assurance of that, it is because it is merely a claim and not a real change. See, there is no life in Christ and salvation without an absolute change in one's life. And what I mean is that regeneration by the Spirit in the life of the believer, as we've seen in this text, changes the believer. And so I want you to understand, there's no such thing as a carnal Christian, that we won't find that in the Bible, And what I mean is there is no such thing as someone who is truly saved and living like a pagan. See, some some believe this, and I want you to understand, I do not. And there's many at times we we may disagree on these points, but I just want to faithfully preach the text to you. Because this is not a doctrine that I would adhere to. This is why I have condemned the whole idea of once saved, always saved, or or frozen chosen, as some others would say. But see, what I believe is in the preservation and the perseverance of the saints. And the difference in that is that it is first a work of the triune, true God who keeps us, and then we're truly saved Disciples of Jesus Christ work out their salvation through sanctification. And so that results in an entirely different person. Whereas a person who claims to be a Christian without being changed has not been saved. Really, they've just been seduced by the false idea of easy believism. And so there's a difference between experiencing and receiving life and claiming to feel very lively while actually still being spiritually dead. And so what is the main difference, especially with those in the text? It's that the source of life is the Spirit of God in them. Remember, this is what we saw last week in verse 63, that it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. And so you can make claims and and you can say that you follow Jesus, but unless there is an evident change within you by the work of the Spirit, it is merely and only your claim. And so this is why we see a distinction between the other disciples turning away in verse 66 and what Peter is saying here in verse 68 and 69. I mean, even there are some that still follow, but aren't really following. And part of this, I I believe, is because we have all these kinds of spaces. We have churches where the truth is not being communicated. The truth is not being preached. And so you have people claiming to be Christians that aren't really Christians. They like the idea of Jesus, but they do not love and obey and abide in Jesus. I mean, even where the, the truth is preached... are some that will hear the claims. They'll they'll go along with the claims. But in them is just a focus of self and not on Savior. And so there is a a connection to and desire for His ministry and His miracles of His common grace, but, but not conversion in His saving grace. But see, Peter shows that what they are after is greater than the physical benefits of his ministry. Peter makes clear, it is Jesus that they want. And this is why Peter said at the end of verse 68, you have the words of eternal life. See, Peter is not only confessing Christ as Lord, but he is also making the point that the words of eternal life are found in no one else. See, in this confession, it is a clear desire to turn from self and to turn to the Savior Jesus. And as they turn to him, there is found the evidence of the change within them by the work of the Father that draws, the Spirit who gives life, and the Son who speaks words of eternal life. And so this is what we see in the following verse as Peter continues to say, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. See, in that short verse, there are three things Peter says that are absolutely incredible. See, Peter says, we have believed. And see, we've, we've seen this in our study of the Gospel of John many times. The difference between true belief and just external outward belief that not all who believe have real, genuine, saving faith. And really, this is because true faith is not founded upon empty expression, but upon genuine confession that leads to repentance. And so consider the difference that we've seen between what the crowd and the other disciples have said and what Peter is now saying. See, church, if we, if we look back through John chapter 6, in these two verses, Peter has confessed more about Christ than we've seen the other disciples and the crowd do in the last 60 verses or so. And that's an important distinction Because Jesus did not come, he did not live and give his life for us so that we would just get the benefits of his earthly ministry, but that we may believe, that we would have a genuine belief in him, and that by believing, we would have a life in his name. If you have forgotten, that is why the title of our series is That You May Believe, Because this is literally the point of the gospel of John. And so as Peter says that they have believed in him, it is a genuine belief. And we see also that this belief is not just an outward claim, but a personal faith that is based on knowing Christ truly. See, Peter continues to say, we have come to know Now see, in that, there's an important thing to understand. It's that knowledge is connected with faith. Because we are certain and and fully convinced of the truth of God. And let me tell you, this is not a knowledge in us that we have worked up or we have worked on or we have worked out. This is the knowledge of God from God. See, what I mean is that this is not the same as when we study or we know uh, scientific information or philosophical education and do study on these things. This is when the Spirit seals it on our hearts. And so knowing Christ is not merely a list of facts that we just know in our minds. This is not a mere theological study in Christology. This is an intimate knowledge that is based on relationship. And so how do we come to believe and know Christ? Well, it's exactly what Jesus has simply been saying in the text. We we saw that Jesus said in verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And in verse 63a, he says, it is the Spirit who gives life. And at the last part of verse 63, Jesus said, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And so what makes men long to respond to the gospel, believe in Christ, and know him in relationship? It is the work of the Father that draws The Spirit who gives life and the Son who speaks words of eternal life. And so see, Peter continues in this, proclaiming who Jesus is. He says, you are the Holy One of God. See, this is a true mark of true believers that that they confess the deity of Christ. They don't suppress it, they confess it. Again, this is what true disciples do that this is a confession that is in no one else but Christ alone, only in Christ alone. And so they turn away from self and they turn towards Savior because in the Savior is life and salvation. But see, to those who reject the truth, they turn from Savior to self, See, in the following two verses, we find the close to the last 10 weeks of our study in John chapter 6. And honestly, as we look at these verses, it feels weighty. In fact, Jesus doesn't respond to to Peter's incredible claim as this exciting, good job, disciples, you did it, you made a good choice. Now, he he doesn't reject or, or disregard this true confession from Peter, but he simply presses on it for the sake of all the disciples. In fact, what Jesus says in verse 70 is in response to the remaining 12 that are before him, and it's very sobering. He said, did I not choose you, the 12, and yet one of you is a devil? See, in the first part of the verse... Jesus is making a distinction between those who follow closely with him, who have been chosen by him, and those who have followed loosely with him, just coming along for the ride. Now, when Jesus says that he chose or elected the 12, he's not referring to the eternal purpose of God. And we know this because it is impossible that any one of those who have been predestined to life should fall away. And so the text mentions Judas. And so we know when Jesus means chosen or election, he's not talking about the purpose of God. But really here, having been chosen to the apostolic office, it is that Jesus is saying that they really should have surpassed others in devotion and holiness. And so here Jesus uses the word choose to mean those who are his own direct disciples, his apostles, who he picked and are distinguished from the rest. And see, Jesus has heard the answer given by Peter on behalf of the 12, yet he knew the inner reality of the situation for each one of them. And this church continues to be a challenge and really a pressing application for us in this whole chapter, that Jesus knows what is in man. And there is no deceiving him or getting around him. So you can come in here and you can, you can deceive me. You can make me think all kinds of things. But that is not going to fly with Jesus. So even though Peter answers amazingly to Jesus' first question, and even though the 12 have been chosen by Jesus himself to fulfill a particular temporary task, Jesus still presses on their belief because one was still the servant of the devil. And in this, Jesus shows, even for the one who hides among them, that there is no hiding, that Jesus knows what is in us, and that we are either going to repent of sin and turn to him, or resent him and turn to sin. And so see, the apostle John writes later, about what Jesus knew. This is what verse 71 says, as John the apostle writes, that he, Jesus, spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the 12, was going to betray him. Now, even though he held the office of apostle, it says clearly still that he was a servant of Satan and really would eventually betray Christ to his death, and we find this in Matthew chapter 26. And so, this is why Jesus said in the second part of the verse, when talking about choosing and appointing the twelve, that one of you is a devil. See, the reality, church, is that in our own deception, the only one we are deceiving is ourselves. That Jesus knows, that he shows this in his very words to the disciples in this text. And so what do we do with this? What does this say about our own belief and knowing and confessing? See, what it says is that you can have all kinds of experiences of the Christian faith and not have a true faith that saves. Again, look at Judas. Judas had the best pastor. He had the best leader, advisor, and and even counselor, yet he failed. See, the problem is not ultimately the leadership or the church you go to. In fact, if you're trying to find the perfect church that's going to save you, you are never going to find the perfect church. And in fact, what one of my favorite theologians would say is, if you then join that church, it becomes imperfect. That's not what we're to be after. See, if our own attitudes or character doesn't change and our hearts are not transformed by the work of the Spirit, we will remain the same. See, as another theologian put it, Judas chose to follow Jesus. He made his own decision to enter the school of Jesus, and he stayed with our Lord during his earthly ministry for three years. Yet we are told he was a devil. That it wasn't that Judas was genuinely converted and then fell out of grace and was lost. But rather, although he was close to Jesus, he was never a converted man. See, church, this ought to give us pause and cause us to really consider the state of our own souls. I mean, really, think about the text for a moment. What category do you fall into is it like the crowd or the other disciples? There's, there's an open defection. Or like Judas, there, there's a subtle de- deception and evil. Or like the final 11 disciples, where there is a firm commitment. See, what we've learned over and over and over again in this chapter is that deserters grumble while true believers trust. Trust. That deserters rely on self while true believers rely on Jesus. And finally, that deserters start strong, but true believers finish strong. Again, notice that all the people who left were considered disciples. That they followed Jesus, but when things didn't go the way they expected, when things didn't go the way they wanted, they left but the 11 of the 12 remained faithful. That these were men who would go on to be martyred for the faith. And then we see in verse 70 through 71 that we are reminded about Judas. That of the 12, only he would later desert. And see, this even reminds us further that deserters don't all desert at the same time. But in fact, some wait longer and actually become traitors. That all throughout history, we see this pattern of starting strong and deserting later. We see this pattern, but the rest of the 12 finished well. They witnessed the resurrection They saw the Holy Spirit come at Pentecost. They spread the truth of the gospel. They watched as the church grew throughout the Roman Empire. They paid the price of martyrdom for the faith. And as a result, their legacy lives on in the church today, that they finished well. See, ultimately, deserters have no resources to draw on but their own. That this just leaves them bitter and disappointed and frustrated. But true believers of Jesus walk in true belief. They walk faithfully in true belief. So let me remind you of something. True belief doesn't have it all figured out. True belief doesn't have all of the questions answered True belief simply and genuinely comes to Jesus and says, to whom should we go, Lord? See, if we left from this spot right now, the question now is, to whom else would we go? See, true belief is where the believer says, there is no one else and there is nothing else for us to turn to but you, Jesus, Jesus that we trust in you alone. That church is true belief. And so just looking again at the text, are we going to walk away like some of Jesus' disciples did, as we saw last week in verse 60, saying, that was a hard teaching. Who can hear it? Or are we going to respond like Peter did in verse 68 when he said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Jesus, you have the words of eternal life. See, there is nothing else in life that will satisfy or save. Only Christ alone will. And to believe in him is to live in him alone. Because really, church, those who believe in Christ are those who have confessed him, those who repent of sin, those who know him, and they are those who turn towards Savior. And so this morning, as we have looked at this chapter over the last 11 weeks, I just want to leave you with this question that we've been considering through this chapter. And that is, are you genuinely seeking Jesus? Again, remember, you can, you can fool me. You can do a great job by all appearances seeming like a great little Christian but if we do not have relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ then we will go to whomever we feel like and try to find eternal life in whatever we think is best. And so again as we close let me ask you are you genuinely seeking Jesus? Let's pray.